Well, it's about time you got here. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy Saturday. Happy weekend to you, wherever you may be. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. And today is a special day. We like to think of every time we come on air as a special day. You got yes. that right. But today, we get to interview our producer. He is the star of our show today. We were thinking about this before he went on a major trip. You noticed we had uh, David Brown the last couple of Saturdays, and we want to thank David Brown for doing a, a great job while our producer was away. And we said, you know, when you come back, we'd like to talk to you about your trip. So we are interviewing today the producer of our show, who has been with us now for four years we initially nicknamed him Nathan Detroit. Now we just call him Tall Guy Nathan. And today, this is your life, Tall Guy Nathan. Welcome hey. to Manson Mitchell. Good whatever it may be on my incredibly messed up and jet-lagged time clock. I was previously 16 <laughs> hours ahead, so I don't even know what time it is. If I should say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good midnight, who knows? Nathan Miller with us four years now. The time has flown, my friend. It has, no pun intended. And everything about this just seems so fast. It feels like just yesterday I was stepping in to fill the radio show, and just yesterday that I landed in the Philippines. And man, time really does fly. We were thinking this morning that we really want to talk about your trip and all of the implications of. Uh, out of the country travel, foreign travel, and we have a lot of questions based on the the weeks that you were away. But you know, it also occurred to us that we give you so little time in the beginning, and we talk about little snippets. And we thought, well, you know, before we get to the trip, we actually want to know a little bit about you. And probably our listeners do too. Week after week for the last four years, they've heard you come on and and been, you know, referred to as our our producer. But I thought, let's take like a couple of minutes just to follow up on some of your personal items. And so I'm not sure where to jump in, but you know, just like where are you from? Yeah. I know you got family in Kentucky. You've gone out there, mm -hmm. but where were you born and raised? Well, let's just start by saying I'm a Pacific Northwest native, born and raised in Seattle, Washington. Never moved in my entire life, except for, of course, attending a university, which I stayed in a doormat, but dorm at <laughs> sounded like yeah. I said a doormat, you know. I didn't sleep on any doormats, I'll promise you that. But <laughs> nor are you a doormat <laughs> in terms of your personality. I might right. I might get stepped on a lot, but that's another story to be told. Anyway, so starting at the beginning, uh, just grew up, and my first love of kind of working in music and sound-related stuff was growing up on a little upright piano at my grandparents' house. I started playing piano on that, and uh, as opposed to uh, being a little kid that would bang on all the keys, I actually tried to use method and make music out of that. 
And that seemed to never go away. I took piano lessons growing up. I was also a baseball player. I spent all of my elementary, middle school, and high school days playing baseball just on rec teams. I didn't join any select teams, but I always had a love for that. And uh, eventually when I got to college, I started to do audio engineering, wanted to be into studio music production. Didn't quite feel a connection. I mean, I did feel a connection, but not super strong until when it was time to get to the advanced course of audio engineering. I was not at a time where that course was offered, so I took a broadcasting class, and that's when I knew I wanted to take my love for audio production and use it in the radio broadcasting field, and that happened at Bellevue College. So from there, I went to Western Washington University and attended there and got involved with their radio station and studied communications, media, and audio engineering, and also took some internships at a local radio station and some podcasts as well. And after I graduated college, that was my uh, first job was actually right here at KKNW in broadcasting. You know, that's interesting that you came up through there educationally. You didn't Mm -hmm. like come in the back door. You went right through the front door, taking up all those um, classes in college to get where you are right now. Also interesting that you played baseball when we have uh, one of your nicknames is Tall Guy Nathan. And I would have thought you would have been a basketball player. How tall are you, Nathan? (laughs) So when people ask me that question, I'll ask them how tall they think I am, but nobody can really respond to me. So I'll just let you know right off the bat, I am six foot six. Six foot six. Okay. That's basketball height. Well, it is. it is. And yet you went for baseball, not basketball. I mean, I did play basketball a couple years when I was in elementary school. I think it was a fourth and fifth grade I played basketball, and I was the center. But just didn't really feel a connection with that and just went right back to baseball and played first and third base. Uh, was never a pitcher. I tried it, but I was too scared of hitting the batter. So my confidence uh. as a pitcher wasn't all that great. But the third and first were also really good positions for tall people. When did you have your growth spurt? Many times. <laughs> so were you like the tallest kid in, in your classes most of the time? Uh, not really. I was kind of maybe at the end of each grade or something like that. I would spurt up and then I would be uh, catching up with people, but it would just keep happening and happening. And it wasn't until about maybe fourth grade that I started becoming the tallest person in the classes. I see. Okay. Well, very good. The other thing that we have talked about with you a little bit, and I didn't know about the piano, but the other thing that has come up when we've introduced you on the show is the fact that you play pool and you're actually very good at it. (laughs) Yes, that is something I really enjoyed doing. A lot of people, when I went to college, I always loved pool, but I never really had an opportunity to have a pool table readily available to me. I'd pay maybe once a month when we would go out to eat. Me and my family, we'd always go out to eat on Saturdays. And throughout each week, we'd rotate who gets the choice of where to go. And I always picked a place with the pool table. So it was maybe only about once a month I would play pool growing up. But once I got to the University of Western Washington University, 
the pool tables there were pretty much in every residence hall. So I basically used pool as my stress relief. And some people might say that I was really stressed in college because there are some days I would play, you know, two to three times a week, a day, I mean, and also joined a pool club. And some people even joke around saying that I minored in applied geometry and physics, which can be translated to pool because that's basically all pool is, is geometry and physics, knowing the angles. And from there, I just kept playing and playing and playing very consistently and won every tournament that I played in at Western Washington University. I tried a local regional tournament, and that one I think I got fourth place in. And... After that, just started joining some leagues, kept it going, and I'm the top skill level you can be in each of the leagues I play in, and everybody always admires my ability to play and loves watching me run the tables. That is fun. I played pool in college myself. My um, best friend from college had her own pool cue, and was very, very good at pool. And I just looked at the table and thought it was interesting, although I did pretty well in geometry. So I kind of understood about the angles. And she taught me how to play. And she taught me a couple of of difficult shots that I wouldn't normally have figured out how to do them. And so we used to go out late at night, you know, 10 o'clock at night, she would say, let's go shoot some pool. And it was a great way to meet uh, fellas because the pool halls were jam-packed with men and then these two women walk in one of them with her own pool cue <laughs> that's so... a very easy if you're a female when you want to get a date just go to a pool yep. hall and play some pool yes. and they'll be all over you in the and... case of this particular lady however <laughs> she might walk into the bar with the guys thinking oh she's cute maybe i can give her a few billiard pointers here i'll teach her a thing or two about how to knock those balls in the hole and uh and apply the geometry apply the physics and they would leave the bar that night pretty much without their tuition money (laughs) (laughs) she was that good yeah she was very very good she she was she won some kind of title in college for playing pool it wasn't on an official team but somehow it was connected with the college and she really did fabulously. So it was it was a lot of fun for me to learn the game then. I never had access to a pool table either, so I didn't continue it. But I, I do find it very scientific between, as you said, the physics and the geometry. It, it's kind of an, a, a very interesting game, almost like chess, you know, only physical. That's because a very good a way lot to, to figure out. That's yeah. a very good way to put it. I always tell people when you're playing pool, it's like a chess match. You know, there's two sides to the game and you're controlling the same board or table. So you got to think to yourself, is now a time where I want to play offense or is now a time when I want to play defense? And, you know, set yourself up for the future rather than just what's going on right now. So they do That's have a so lot important. in common. Yeah. anticipation yeah. yes you know what i find fascinating though nathan is that you talk about applied geometry and physics you're having to eyeball that 
Mm-hmm. It's not like he can bring out a, the oldest slide rule <laughs> or whatever you kids use these days. A little compass. And, right. Uh, You're in a sextant and anything else that you need to yeah. align with the stars. You know? And you, you have to look at the angle and then you have to apply physics, your physical motion to achieve the desired result. And you have to do it consistently. That's why I consider pool to be a very challenging game. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of it, too, is instinct. In fact, I find it hard to teach some people some things because they ask me, well, how do you do this? How do you do a bank shot? How do you do a kick shot? It's just there's so much that goes into it. I just got to kind of feel it because I don't have time to go through and calculate everything, especially if there's a shot clock on the game. Well, very good. It's one of the things that we find interesting about you, Nathan, and that was before we ever knew that you had piano lessons. But the subject for today has to do with where you have been the last couple of weeks and why you weren't with us on our show. You took a really extraordinary trip. And so I want you to go ahead and and set that up as to, you know, travel apparently was not a lifelong thing that you had been doing. Was this, am I correct that this was your first trip out of the country? International travel, yes, that is something I have not been doing. The closest I ever got up until this point was when I was in uh, Western Washington University. Funny enough, it was a friend I met playing pool, but he was a international student from Spain, and for a winter break, he was flying home for the month that they had off from college. So his flight home was going out of Vancouver, British Columbia, and he needed somebody to drop him off at the airport and said, sure, I'll do it. And I had an enhanced driver's license, which in Washington State allows you to drive through the Canadian border. You can't fly or take a boat, but driving is okay. And so I did that and then dropped him off at a Vancouver, British Columbia airport and came straight back. So I was probably in Canada for no more than 30, 45 minutes. And I only set foot outside of my car to go to the trunk and help him with his bags and get right back in and then go back to Bellingham. So I don't count that as really leaving the country. So for this trip, I had to get my first ever passport. And the reason why I wanted to take this trip was because for the past two years, I met a girl online who lives in the Philippines. It was through just kind of a random social media ad. And I was bored at work and there was nothing going on. It was the middle of the pandemic, so nothing was happening. So I'll just uh, keep talking with this girl. And then as we continued talking, we just grew an even greater and greater bond until we decided that we would form a relationship and skip two years down the road. And I was finally ready to get my first trip scheduled out to the Philippines to meet her for the very first time in person. Before we get to that, (laughs) let's hold off just a few moments there. Let's build some suspense. How was it getting there? I mean, did you have to, being an international flight, I'm sure you had to get to the airport extra early, and then there was the flight itself. How was that experience in the air for all those hours? It was actually a lot better than I thought it would be, especially being a very tall person, 
sitting in basic economy class, so the seats with the most minimal leg room offered on the flight. And so going to the airport, they say to get there about three hours prior to an international flight. And a normal flight would be two hours. But honestly, at SeaTac Airport, you could just treat it like a normal flight because as you get into the airport, you never have to go through any type of customs leaving SeaTac Airport. It's just like going up to your normal flight and getting on the plane. So I was there plenty of early on time and I was flying Korean Air and going through the seats. My brother, he once flew Korean Air for an internship that he had in South Korea. So I asked him, hey, how is the basic economy seats? Are they good enough for someone our height? Because he's an inch taller than me. And he said it was kind of minimal, but not an issue for the whole flight. And that still remains true these days because I got into the flight and maybe had about two inches of room between my kneecaps and the seat in front of me to uh, spare. And luckily for me, the person sitting next to me was this this tiny Asian woman, so she didn't uh, take up much room at all, and I could no problem maybe just scoop my legs over a little bit to the side if I need to, and I was sitting at the window seat, so all was good. Did you, you did you get up and move around very much? How long was that flight, by the way? Yeah, so the first flight was from Seattle to Incheon Airport in South Korea. And that flight, it was scheduled to be about 12 hours. I think it was maybe more about 10 and a half or 11. I think they got in early. But oh, a hop and a skip. Yeah. Then, <laughs> wow. then wow. Uh, when I was flying, I think I maybe only got up one time to use the bathroom and stretch. And then the other time was just to use the bathroom. And uh, I didn't really have any issues with getting sore at all. Uh, it's a little bit tough to sleep on the flight because there's behind me, I think there are a couple of uh, college frat boys taking a trip. So maybe every couple hours they would just start randomly talking and that would wake me up. But... No, that thought the flight was very enjoyable. When they do an international flight, about an hour after takeoff, they'll serve you your first meal. And it was kind of funny because we were going through a point in the flight where we got some moderate turbulence and one of my dishes to eat was a soup. So <laughs> I just freshly <laughs> opened up this hot soup packet and then suddenly the flight gets bumpy. So I'm just sitting there with my hands over the top or other things trying to cover it up to prevent it from spilling hot soup over my lap or other parts of the plane. And uh, for about 20 minutes, I was like that. And then the turbulence finally subsided and I was able to eat the soup and enjoy my meal properly, which was a uh, Korean Air's bibimbap and very delicious. When you when you flew Korean Air, did you find that they came by rather often with things for the passengers or were people mostly sleeping? A little bit of both. I mean, they had their scheduled lights out time, as I like to call it. That's when they tell everybody to close all the shades on the windows so that the cabin right. can be dark for the people who want to sleep. But they came around about three times with a some sort of food or drink service. And mm -hmm. 
uh, maybe about halfway through the flight, they came around with a fruit service, which was a banana and like your choice of three different types of fruit uh, juices. And then about mm-hmm. an hour or two hours towards the end of the flight, they came around with a second meal service. So they were pretty scattered. They give you plenty of time to sleep. And, of course, there's entertainment on the screens. And you can watch a movie or listen to music. And now they even have uh, digital books you can put on or audio books. So plenty to keep you occupied while you're flying for 11 hours. Did you see anybody? And I hope it didn't happen to you, Nathan. Did you see people, and I ask this because I've had the worst luck, not in recent flights, of course, I haven't flown anywhere since 2019 (laughs) there, but uh, I used to be the guy, you could see on both sides of the aisle, you could see people with their seats in the upright position, and there would be one person leaning back, and it would be the dude in front of me. You know, on the seats they have on Korean Air and even Japan Airlines, that's who I flew on the way back. The way they build those seats is when you recline it, the seat actually pushes forward. So there you the go. bottom part of the seat is actually not affected to the person behind you's leg room. See, some genius thought this is how you solve a problem that anybody flying dreads, you know? <laughs> Especially as tall I've people. I can't even tell you how many times I've experienced that. What luck, you know? Maybe I ought to stop thinking about it. It wouldn't happen so often. And uh, it, fortunately, it hasn't happened in a long time, but I haven't flown in a while either, as I've indicated there. But I'm glad that didn't happen to you and that there was a technological breakthrough mm-hmm. that avoided that. Because can you imagine oh, man. having to go all that distance and somebody is virtually in your lap? Exactly. And then you have the soup problem on top of it. <laughs> yeah, thankfully I didn't uh, get any spilled onto me, but it was really hard to control it. Wow. Now, that's just an amazing... I always wonder when people travel long distances, how do you cope? Because I find that challenging. It might not bother some people, but it bothers a lot of people, including me. I was, I was asking about the service, and you, you indicated that they came around so many times. I I flew into um, London back in 1999, and one of the things I recall about it was very regularly the the steward staff coming down with something down the aisle. As you said, you know, first it was a drink, and then it was food, and then then, uh, the next trip was a hot towel, and the next trip was an ice cream bar, and, and it was like all during the trip. You could, if you sat in your seat, you could anticipate within an hour or so another service coming down the aisle. And so that was also interesting to me because it seems like with our our domestic travel, everything is so incredibly bare bones. And and you see, you know, on TV, the joke uh, commercial with AT&T where even even the water costs money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the airlines are so skimpy right now on what it is that they offer, you know, hardly food, drink, anything, a movie, anything you want is going to cost you. You're, you're, it's costing as much to fly your luggage as it is your body. Now they've upped all the luggage rates. And so, um, you, you know, when you fly a, a, 
a company which is not a domestic company like a Korean Air or British Airways or someplace, you know, something else, you you find out some of these places are still treating the the flyers uh, nicely. Yeah, that can also be dependent on the airline you're flying on, especially those budget airlines can really be like what you're saying, pay for everything. But there are some domestic airlines which, you know, you buy a ticket and it's inclusive of pretty much everything except maybe like a first class meal or uh, alcoholic beverages. But on the international flights, those are all included. And even uh, airlines that operate domestically, and internationally, like United, Delta, or Alaska, once you get onto an international flight, they'll offer you all those same things. Okay. If you're, if you're going far enough, you can get treated well enough. Yep. Seems only fair. When we come back, we're going to hear from Nathan Miller what it was like to spend... How many days were you in the Philippines? It depends on how you look at it. The days actually in the Philippines, I was about 13, but days out of Seattle, 15. Okay. So you got quite a taste of the people, the culture, the mores. As much as I could pack into that about two weeks. That's right. And I'm sure our listeners would be fascinated to hear about that in detail. I know Suzanne and I want to hear all about it. So as much as we can pack into the rest of the hour, let's continue this travel log with Nathan Miller and his trip to the Philippines. This is some pretty extraordinary stuff, young man. And I envy you. And in another way, maybe not so much because of the the itinerary and the travel and all that. I don't think I would relish that. But being in the Philippines for that amount of time, what an extraordinary adventure. Nathan Miller, our producer, is our special guest. We are Manson Mitchell. Give us a couple of minutes. We will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. 
I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Bored with the other stations, hammering away on the same old talking points? Try Alternative Talk 1150 and get some variety. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, our producer, Nathan Miller, who is talking about his trip to the Philippines for a couple of weeks after a little bit of an introduction to Nathan, more than just the average, hi, how are you doing? And so, Nathan, um, if if people have gone to the Philippines or are thinking about it and might want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to do that? Well, you can send me an email at nathan.miller at hbi.com. That's like hubbardbroadcastingincorporated.com. And I'm not going to be able to sell you any tickets to the Philippines on the airlines, but I can be more than happy to send you a link to a photo album of all my adventures and experiences there. So if you'd like to see all those, just send me an email and say you'd like to see some photos or anything else you might want to know about as far as my trip goes. Excellent. Nathan.Miller at HBI.com. That will get you in touch with Nathan if you would like to communicate with him. We always like to give out any kind of marketing information we can at the bottom of the hour for our guests. So that is Nathan's information. Okay, Gary, I think we've landed. Yes? We've landed. And let's do it this way, Nathan. Recollect for us. What was it like when you first got off the plane and there you are? Okay, so I actually had one more flight, which was just a little island hopper, but we'll skip all the details of that. And once I got off that flight, that's when the anticipation and the excitement and the goosebumps. And in the Philippines, they have a word called kilig, which is the word for like uh, what we would say butterflies in the stomach for when you're excited about love. So I was feeling just an overwhelming amount of keelig getting off the plane. And then I had to go and get my checked baggage. So it just keeps building and building and building. And leaving the airport, it's just a small little airport. So not really much of a walk from the plane to the baggage claim to outside. And once I got to the outside, I just go through the sliding glass doors, look straight ahead first. I don't see her. Then I look to the left because I'm left-handed. I don't see her, and then I turn to the right, and there is just the biggest smile. Uh, the girl I've been dating for two years just waiting for me, and that's when I just started running over to her and dropped all my baggage when I got close to her, of course. <laughs> Didn't want to leave it far behind, and took off my backpack and picked her up, gave her a big, giant hug, and that was my first experience meeting her at the airport in Bacolod. Does she speak English? She does. And what language do the Filipinos speak? 
Now they have several different dialects. I actually heard there's maybe close to maybe even a hundred different dialects that could possibly be spoken in the Philippines. But the wow. uh, ones that uh, she speaks are Hiligaynon or Ilonggo, which is uh, her hometown's main dialect. And then probably the biggest one in the Philippines, like in the Manila metro area, is. Tagalog, and that's the one we're all familiar with. And yeah, it looks like Tagalog, but it's not pronounced yeah, that Tagalog. way. Tagalog, and that would be the equalizer language or dialect. Actually, English would maybe well, as far as Filipino dialects, yes. But most of the Filipinos they speak good English, and even if they can't necessarily speak it too well, they can understand it when it's spoken to them, because. Oh. Uh, it's part of their curriculum growing up in the schools is to take English. Did you did you feel like you learned enough words to talk with people? I, I still know just kind of the basic ones, so I can't really have a proper conversation in Tagalog or Longo, but I do know the basic words like uh, salamat, which is thank you, and walangan is you're welcome. Kamustaka, how are you? Mayungaga, good morning. Stuff like that. Yeah. I I went to um, Spain back in the 1970s, and I didn't know any Spanish. But I picked it up very quickly. And, of course, I had to learn just a few phrases before I went over there, like, where's the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and a few things. And please and thank you. You know, nice, uh, polite things. But it's interesting that you do pick up words fairly quickly. And and I left uh, Spain actually feeling a lot more comfortable with the Spanish language than when I got there. So I was wondering if you felt more comfortable with the uh, Tagalog language when you left. Not really all that much at all. Maybe just a little bit, but I did really get familiar with the types of foods and stuff like that and oh. other things. It's like I said, they're a very English-heavy country, yeah. and so they're... Able to speak the need it to wasn't you. Yeah, great. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But as far as pronunciations and stuff like that, and I was able to nail down my accents when I was speaking in a Filipino tongue. It's pretty good. My knowledge of Philippine history is, to say the least, limited. However, I understand that there is a cross current of cultures because of the geographic location of the Philippines. A lot has gone on in world history in that region of the world. And with that, you have not just the residue of cultures, but a mix of cultures that lingers, mm-hmm. that persists. Yeah, so I don't know the exact time frame, but uh, further down in the past, they were occupied by the Spanish people. So that took about 300 years. So you'll see a lot of Spanish influence in Filipino culture, especially with uh, names or last names. And even some architecture is very Spanish. And foods, too. They'll take a lot of Spanish influence from that. They follow the Spanish like months, days, and years as far as words for that goes. Same uh, number words for those. And then later, they were occupied by the Americans for about 50 years. So that's when they got all the American influence in there. So 
a lot of the Filipino culture is built off of like an Islander native people and Spanish and United States Americans. That is very interesting. I don't think I knew that. What I am aware of is that there are so many uh, Filipino healthcare workers who mm-hmm. come to the United States and and do healthcare here. I mean, that's that's actually almost like common knowledge that you know they they learn their healthcare over there. They come here, make some money, and then either send it back or go back with money because this is a if they know English, this is a great place for them to work, even if temporarily. Absolutely. And you'll see many of those in the Seattle areas and hospitals, a lot of Filipinos working there. But it is very natural for a Filipino to want to be into the hospitality industry because I got to be honest, I have not met any more hospitable people in the world than I did in the Philippines because everybody out there, you know, we have that whole stereotypical grandma image where they always want to feed you and take care of you and be involved with ever, everything you're doing. Well, just imagine the, that grandmother image, but in every single person in the Philippines. So everybody you run into or meet will want to introduce themselves and share their lives or values with you and make sure you're well-fed and taken care of. So it's just very natural for a Filipino person to want to be in the hospital or caretaking industry because it's just so engraved in their values. That is that is fascinating. I, I'm glad you picked up on that. I know that there are many Filipinos who work in hospitality and gaming in Las Vegas. Mm. Gambling is pretty popular there, too. Uh, They'll do uh, play a lot of cards. So they have all these forms of cards. Uh, One of their big ones, it's called Tongits. I never really learned how to play it. I'm not much of a card player, but that's their big card game that was originated out of the Philippines was Tongits, and then they have another one they call it Bipair, and that was very popular for them to play. And then they would put, you know, pesos onto each game and then bet them. Usually not much, maybe no more than 100 pesos, which would be about $2 here. And note the currency is called pesos? Pesos, yeah, Filipino pesos. Yeah, from the Spanish influence. There you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did your pool game get rusty when you were over there? <laughs> I actually did get a chance to play a little bit of pool. There is a nearby tavern to her house and neighborhood, and we went into there, found out they had a couple pool tables. So I uh, got together with some of her family, and we shot some pool. We didn't put any pesos on it or ask anybody else if they wanted to. We played about 30 minutes, and a uh, lot different there because uh, here I'm used to playing with a carbon fiber shaft and uh, wearing a glove while I'm playing. Well, over there, I didn't have anything like that, so I just had your typical wood shaft and uh, no glove. And with the pool table being like outdoors, it was a covered but open-air tavern, 
it got my hands really sweaty, so they had plenty of talcum powder I could put onto my hands and use that instead. But I thought I did pretty okay. They had a pretty decent cue there to play pool with, and people were impressed with how well I was able to play pool. You made those adjustments on the spot. Yeah. Especially with it being a different size table, too, because I'm used to a seven-foot table, and we were playing on an eight-foot table there. Oh, really? When Was there a time when you were over there that you asked yourself, could I live here? There was a few times I was thinking about that. Uh, when I got to the province, which is where I spent most of my time, it's more of the smaller cities and farmland-type area. I was definitely culture-shocked by the styles of homes and the housing and neighborhoods that it's a lot different than what we're used to in a suburb here in the United States. They're more like a apartment size studio house and they're right next to each other with minimal, if at best, yard space and they're very densely packed. And you would think they're look like on the outside like they're run down, but they're actually nice on the inside. They use a lot of uh, steel and concrete to make their homes and maybe some bamboo too. And uh, most of the houses, they'll just have like a front door or side door. And then inside, it's just curtains to separate the rooms. And kitchens are very small. A lot of the cooking is done on like a gas-powered camp stove. And they on the keep outside it, or yes, the inside? Outdoor, outdoors. Outside. They'll do their okay. cooking. And a very minimalistic type lifestyle. You know, they don't keep much. They just kind of get things as they need them. They don't have much uh, necessarily in storage. Mm-hmm. So it was How a lot different shop? to see that. You know, if you go to Europe, there there's the uh, stereotypical image many times photographed of someone on a bicycle and they're, they've got a, a little baguette, you know, yeah. that's going to be for dinner that night. Do they shop meal by meal or a few meals at a time? What are their customs with regard to their culinary habits? Probably a few meals at a time. A lot of their dining and stuff, like I was saying, is they're very valuable of family. So whenever there's meals, like everybody gets together. So it's very easy for all the food to go away quickly. But um, they'll usually, if they have a refrigerator, they might use that to store their leftovers in. But a lot of the times their leftovers will go to the farm animals uh, so that they could uh, use that to feed them instead of a feed. And eventually that farm animal will become the next meal. We'll talk about lechon later, maybe, which is... For the lighthearted listener, discretion is advised. But uh, stores are very ready, very available. They do what is called the Sari Sari store. And Sari, S-A-R-I, translates to any. So people in their houses will sell produce or goods that you can easily just go next door and buy what you need to eat from them and cook that up. And that'll be your meal for the day. And sorry, sorry stores can 
have pretty much anything they can get their hands on. They'll just bring it back and resell it. Was there anything that you were presented with food-wise that you really hesitated to eat? Not necessarily. I mean, the one I did want to get into my mouth to taste was not something I was able to do just for the sake of time and not being able to find it. But there's a delicacy they have over there called balot. And if you're not familiar with what that is, is it's a chicken egg with a chicken already forming inside of it. So I mm. uh, didn't get a chance to munch on that or give that a try, but I did uh, get to go with some, they call it like a tiny shrimp. It's uh, If I get the time here to pull it up, I can get you the name of it. Uh, I believe it was... I'll probably find well, that here later. Well, here it's popcorn shrimp. Uh, oh, yeah. I <laughs> think our little ones are called popcorn shrimp. Yeah, I mean, I got a list of like 25 different foods that I ate on my phone, so it's going to be hard to look through and then find it. That's okay. Yeah. That's all right. It was basically like a tiny shrimp, and then they fry it up like they would with the breading of a chicken. And uh I kid you not, it actually, you know, people will say that if they try something and say, it's okay, it tastes like chicken, they'll just say that. But this one actually did taste like chicken. All right. I I can remember on on one trip, um, I was the the meal that was being presented was brains. Mm. And and I had I re, I looked at that plate of brains and I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to eat that. <laughs> I, I I hesitated. So I was wondering if you ever got presented with something that you really hesitated to eat. Well, no, no really strange fish or strange no, things? not really at all, to be honest. Uh, I mean, the balot would have been it, but um, the I guess the next thing down the line, uh, if I can find a name quick enough, oh yeah, uh, Dinuguan, which is uh, pig blood. And as they're preparing... Bl- how the, do they serve that? Uh, not quite sure how they cook it up, but it's commonly used as like a sauce. And oh, then they'll okay. warm it up, and then you can put it on your rice or maybe something else and eat it that do, way. Do you have an adventurous palate when it comes to food? No. No? <laughs> so you're not willing to try anything? Not necessarily. I had to okay. expand my boundaries for this trip because I would okay. be pretty shy to... It, I mean, I wasn't even a seafood eater before going on this trip, so uh, being an island or archipelago, they eat a lot of fish or other seafoods, but uh, I had to open up my palate a bit to go on this trip. And I liked the uh, milkfish that they had. That was a yummy and tasty seafood. I'll tell you what, folks, I'd lose weight over there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're not a seafood eater. And then the sea grapes were good, too. It's like a seaweed, and they had like these little tiny berries on them. That was actually really delicious. We we have sea grape plants in Florida and I understand that the grapes are edible although I've I've never eaten them. But we have sea grape plants here even in our neighborhood. People grow them in their backyard. They they get very tall. Um yeah, it's interesting that you you need to consider some other types of food when you travel internationally. Mm-hmm. And and every country has got their favorites that may or may not be your favorites. 
And I was trying to think of some things that are in the United States that would be weird to present oh, to them. Are you and kidding? I was yeah, like, we, uh, have, we have plenty. Oh, really? Because uh, <laughs> the only best thing I could think of that we probably might be weird for another country is the chicken gizzards. That That's a delicacy here. But I couldn't yeah. really think of any other weird or exotic foods that are uh, unique to the United States. Mm. They had to have a side weird exotic food yes. over a McDonald's. <laughs> well, the McDonald's there is completely different, too. I mean, all the fast food chains out there would have fried chicken, spaghetti, or rice at some place on the menu. Oh, that's interesting. So be, Spaghetti is be very popular out there. Culturally in keeping with the country that they're in. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I got kind of an off-the-wall question for you that I was discussing with Gary earlier when we were preparing for the show. I I was wondering if you felt any influence from the years you've been working at KKNW and hearing all these experts on all the different shows that you have produced uh, in Seattle, if if any of those shows, like, like you're saying, you had to expand your palate when you went overseas. And, and I was wondering if the, the shows that you have been producing for years have had some kind of influence on some of the perspectives or or life decisions that you've made have you heard things that have really influenced you in that way i guess uh, the first thing that comes to mind with that is to just be open to new possibilities and don't uh make yourself and your beliefs to intrude on what you're experiencing because going to a different culture i mean you got to be open-minded and open-hearted to what is going on there and don't set expectations like that would be from here expecting it basically using the united states as a bar so just completely get rid of your bar and just allow yourself to be free and open to accepting and knowing that what is going on over there is just completely normal and allowing yourself to be fully immersed into what they're doing. And is that type of thinking, um, can you attribute any of that to the, these um, shows that you've been doing for years now where people have come on and had, have suggested things like that, that, you know, we, we tend to be too judgmental based on our, our own, um, way that we do things, but that if you are more open, I mean, you can you can find love online with a lovely Filipino yeah. lady. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that probably guess like what I was just saying is like leave yourself out of it and you know give room for the place you're visiting or people you're seeing, and yeah. that's just probably the best thing I can think of at the moment. There's probably more, but that's what comes to my f mind first. Well, and what I was wondering was if you were always like that or, or if there, if there was some, uh, some change in your perspective during the time you've been at the radio station, 
Yeah, because I would always be, you know, more focused on, I mean, it's good to be focused on yourself, but I would, you know, take that a little bit too much into account. And I would set expectations that were only about what I wanted and didn't necessarily consider other people. And that would cause me to maybe have like a very narrow viewpoint towards things. You know, like tunnel vision. Yeah. Yes. And I'm really so happy that you said that. I didn't want to put the words into your mouth. But, you know, uh, this month, Gary and I are celebrating 17 years on air with KKNW. And, you know, from our point of view, it's so great to have a station like KKNW, the alternative talk station, where you hear experts in all these various areas that do present things that are not what you're going to find on your standard TV or radio stations. They're, they're different and they make you think. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I wanted to know, has, has that made you think about things differently? And it, it sounds like maybe it has. In oh, some absolutely. Ways. And I think yeah. that really, like I said, just helped with my trip to the Philippines to not focus so much on the culture shock. Yes. And it kept that at a minimum. And I was able yes. to, you know, jump in head first and really experience the culture of the Philippines. Mm, that's really great. I, I really heard what you said about the people being so caring and so compassionate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to attribute that to all the people that you met really makes me feel good about um, that country and that culture. And you need people to have these firsthand experiences and to tell people, you know, what other places are like. And you did that today beautifully, Nathan. A lot of people will attribute it as, I know we got like one minute left, but they'll say it's a third world country. In some cases, yes, but really, I mean, it's a fantastic, absolutely incredible place to visit and go on vacation. And I would definitely be going back. I'm so happy you had such a beautiful experience, Nathan. Thank you. Salamat po. Back at you. (laughs) Well, I'm going to join us next. Join us next Friday. We'll do this all over again. And in the meantime, have a great week ahead, everybody. Here's what's coming up next week on Manson Mitchell. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington.